us. Thank you. Good morning. If you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We return to the book of Romans. Um, we've been working our way through a list of gifts, if you will. It's not an exhaustive list. Paul uses it uh, uh, sort of to illustrate a principle that he's making. Um, but I, I want to back up and remind you, because we haven't looked at this for a, for a few weeks now, just remind you that, and this is technical, I'm giving you technical stuff that we study in seminary, and it's, it's for advanced students. Romans chapter 12 comes after Romans chapters 1 through 11. All right? Now, now if I, that's hard to visualize, I know, uh, but uh, it's, it's sort of like important to keep in mind. And we know that because Paul starts out in, in Romans 12 and he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Um, he says, on the basis of what I just talked about, then he goes into Romans 12. That talks a, a lot about what the Christian life looks like, what it means to have the Holy Spirit working in your life. And uh, that journey to be conformed to the image of, of God's dear son going on. We're looking at in, in Romans chapter 12. But before we get there, we have to be reminded, we have to have it clear in our heads that we can only come to the spot of Romans 12 through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That we all come as sinners. We come as those who are enemies of God. We come as those who have rebelled against him, who have rejected him. And whether we're the religious person or the rank pagan, we have essentially followed our own way. We have gone after our own wisdom, our own design. And as a result, we are alienated to God, from God. But God sent his son, raised him from the dead. And because of that, now the righteousness of God for us is revealed in Christ Jesus. We appropriate that entirely by faith. It is the grace of God that gives us his righteousness and his faith that appropriates that righteousness. It's not our works, it's not our merit. And so we keep in mind that we are creatures of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And that's the way we come to Romans chapter 12. Otherwise, all the things we're reading in chapter 12 really just turn into a series of Moralisms, do-goodisms, why you don't you try harder, your life could be better-isms. Um, it's really not very helpful because without the grace first, Romans chapter 12 just sort of um, becomes a, a, a sort of just an exercise and, and well, let's think about how to be good people. And I want you to be good people, but that's not what Romans 12 is about. Romans 12 is about how we are conformed to the image of Christ. Now, this morning we'll be looking at uh, the, the, the concept of exhortation. Uh, in the New Testament, the word encouragement can be used equally well. Um, if, if I remember, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment or two. Uh, but the, uh, the gift that we're looking at, at is that of, of encouragement or exhortation. Um, now, exhortation can just be a, a happy thing to do. You know, wow, just buck up and help other people. Cheer them along. Just make sure that other folks, when they're around you, they feel good about themselves and they try harder. I mean, that, that's really great if all you're making is a Hallmark movie or, you know, something like that. But in terms of the Christian faith, what we're really talking about is exhortation to be more and more like Jesus. Encouraging one another to look like Jesus in the way that we live. And that's what we'll be looking at 
in uh, just a few minutes, a little bit later on this morning. So I wanted us to have that, that running start again into this list of gifts that uh, it's based on the grace of God, the mercies of God, come to us through the shed blood of Christ, appropriated by faith, not by works um, that we might have. And so I want first to start reading in chapter 12, pick up reading in verse 4. And Paul says this, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, it is the nature of our lives that we go through valleys and we reach mountaintops. We go through times when the light shines brightly and times when darkness seems to close in. And even in our worship services on a single pew, there will be one person for whom life is just going gloriously well and everything is is just turning out marvelous. And right next to that person will be one who is walking through the valley of the shadow, one for whom life seems to have come to a dead end. But Father, I would pray that when we go through the times of brightness, the times of victory, the times in which we are just experiencing the joy of life in abundance, we would remember to pause and to reach out to our brother, to our sister. And Father, as they are struggling to share with them and in their lives that we might be instruments and vessels so that as you bless us, we would be channels through whom you bless others. And Father, I pray for the one going through the valley the one who is in the darkness, the one, Father, for whom life seems to have uh, just ground to a halt. Father, I pray not only that you would lift up their eyes and fill them with your spirit and give them the courage of faith to follow and rely upon you, but, Father, into the lives of those who walk through the valley this morning, send us that we might walk with them, that we might hold hands, that we might lock arms, that we would be in step but, Father, together encouraging one another to fix our gaze on things above where Christ is, that the glory that you have for us would shine even into the darkest recesses of life. Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would work and minister in us, that you would mold us together as one body in Christ for your glory, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just offer a word of appreciation for teachers. We've got folks in the congregation who uh, have been teachers by profession. Uh, We have others who are teachers just because uh, you have kids in the house. Uh, But I I really appreciate teachers who impart knowledge from one generation to the other. Um, But this morning, I I was thinking about it, I really appreciate music teachers. Uh, music teachers, and, and we have a few in, in the congregation too. And because when you think about music teachers, um, a lot of times they're teaching kids who don't want to be there. <laughs> I'm speaking from personal experience. Uh, I, I, I took piano lessons. My, my first teacher was my mother, 
she gave up on me and I had uh, another guy. And, uh, for a while I took piano lessons from uh, uh, Australian nuns who lived in Japan and every week we'd go to the convent for a piano lesson. And um, I, I don't think they were allowed to, but I, I really think they wanted to wrap my knuckles with a ruler because you know, it was just that bad. Um, but uh, had all kinds of music teachers and it didn't dawn on me until I got out of college, had quit taking piano lessons. They expected me to learn things. <laughs> I thought the goal was to just get through the lesson, you know, just, just endure the time. Um, no, I didn't practice. Nobody practices, you know. And, 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 you know. and it wasn't until I got out of it that, it that it dawned on me. They wanted me to learn these pieces. I thought I was just trying to get through the lesson and fake it or something. And what great patience they had to keep on teaching me and, by the way, to keep on encouraging me. Because that's what they were doing. They were showing me something. They were uh, holding in front of me a standard of, 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 um, of accomplishment, of achievement that was drawing me upward and, uh, well, sideways at least. But, uh, you know, but they were giving me a vision, and that was an act of encouragement, if you will. They were, it, it was an act of exhortation. So those of you who teach music, you are now a music exhorter. Um, and, and that's what you do. Because as, we, as we're looking at this thing of exhortation, a lot of it has to do with setting a better vision in front of somebody than where they are and showing them where they could be. And for those of us who are in the body of Christ, who believe in Jesus, that means showing them Jesus in a way that they had not seen before. You see, Jesus uh, had a ministry that... Uh, um, I'm not going to say it was frustrating because Son of God can't get frustrated. But if I had been there, I would have tried my best to frustrate him, either willfully or, or unconsciously. Uh, think about the number of times that Jesus just had to keep on teaching, keep on teaching. And through the whole thing, he was encouraging. And through the whole thing, he was exhorting them. See, one of the meanings of the word to exhort in the New Testament is to invite uh, the Greek word for uh, exhortation, the, the verbal form is parakaleo. Some of you recognize that, some of you don't. Uh, it's the same uh, word that Paul uses in verse 1 of chapter 12 when he says, I appeal to you, or I urge you, or I beseech you. It's parakaleo, and then later on he says, well, there's a gift of parakalesis, uh, which is the noun form. And so this idea of, of exhorting comes from the word parakaleo. Now, in ancient, ancient Greek, like even before the New Testament Greek, um, that word parakaleo uh, was used to say invite. It came from how many Greek words? Two, exactly. Always two words. And uh, uh, it comes from para, alongside, and kaleo, 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 to call someone alongside. It was an invitation to come and walk with me, come and to be a part of who I am. You know, Jesus was walking by the lakeside, and he saw some fishermen there, and they were drying and mending their nets. And he went up to them, and he said things like, why don't you follow me? That was an invitation. He was setting before them the chance for a life that they would never have without him. And he said, you follow me. What a time of exhortation, but a time of encouragement, a time of 
invitation when you can go to a brother and sister in Christ and say, you know, I've discovered something wonderful in the scriptures. Why don't you come with me as we look at God's word? Or maybe you've discovered a, a, a time of ministry, someplace where you have really been, been blessed to use the, the talents and the skills God gives you, and you're able to, to share that in a way that glorifies God. And so you go to a brother and sister and say, why don't you come with me? Invite them alongside with you. It's one of the tasks of parents to go to your children and at some point invite them to walk life's journey with you. If you're saying, I'm on a journey, I don't want them to walk, change your journey. But one of the things we do is we go to our children and we invite them to come and to be a part of the life that we've discovered in Christ. One of the things that exhortation means is to be an inviter, one who looks for people who need someone to come and say, you, you walk with me. I mean, this has just such marvelous practical applications in the body of Christ. Yeah. Some of you remember joining youth group your first year? No, you don't. Okay. Um, but, but imagine what it's like. You, you come into youth group and uh, you're, you're the youngest one there and there's all these other kids and, and they're like bigger than you are. They're not smarter than you are, but they're acting like it. Uh, but, the, but they know the routine. They know where the rooms are and, 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 and what the, 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 the schedule is and all those other kinds of things. And so your first moment in youth group, you're sitting there and you feel like, I, I'm gonna, this is going to kill me. I just know it's going to kill me. And for someone to come up, seniors in high school, juniors in high school, you listen to me on this. You go up to a seventh grader and you invite them. You say, you come with me. You come with me. You sit with me. Or we're, we're, we're going to snack time. Come on with me. You come with me. Do you know the power that a junior or senior in high school has when they just acknowledge the existence of someone in middle school? It transforms a life. And so the, this power of, of exhortation, this power of encouragement resides partly in the ability just to go to someone and say, Come with me. I'm inviting you to come with me. It's what Jesus did. And lives were changed. See, the idea of, of, uh, of encouragement, it also has to do with comforting. Um, and the idea there is you call someone alongside so you can put your, your arm around them and encourage them and comfort them and, and uh, be sympathetic to their life. That, that's the picture language that, that drew to the word comfort. This word parakaleo, paraklesis, um, the noun form is uh, parakletos. Um, these, all these words have to do with comfort as well in the New Testament. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, look, I'm going to send you another comforter. Does anybody remember that? This is the word he uses. He might have said, I'm going to send you another encourager. I'm going to send you someone else who will exhort you and, and invite you and, and, and just set before you the opportunity to be more than you are by the power of God and the work of this Holy Spirit. I'm going to send to you another comforter. One of the things Jesus did in his ministry was he was constantly comforting people. He was constantly calling them that he might give them comfort in their lives. Um, those who were sick and those who were struggling, those who were blind and lame and halting, he gave them hope, he gave them comfort. And it wasn't just a pat on the head, uh, you know, now, now things will get better, but it was rather an investment of his life in who they are so that they would be encouraged and comforted, strengthened to continue on in the journey. 
One of the calls for Christian exhortation is that we would comfort one another. You know, in the course of his discourse to his disciples, on the last evening of his earthly ministry before the crucifixion, he was talking to his disciples, and one of the things he said is, uh, guys, I want you to realize in this world you're going to have tribulation. As long as you're in this world, there's going to be people who persecute you, there's people who are going to give you problems, people who are going to try to tear you down. In this world, you will have tribulation. And then Jesus said, be of good cheer. Well, that's the way we read it in King James, isn't it? Be of good heart. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be comforted. Because I have overcome the world. Sometimes you're with somebody and they're struggling and they're hurting. And they can't figure out how their life is going to go one more day. And the fact of the matter is you can't figure out how their life is going to go one more day either. They're just so down in, in, in the depths and, and things have just become so problematic and there's just such difficulty surrounding them. And it's way over their head and it's way over your head. Here's the deal. You go there and by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the exhorter, by the power of the comforter, you just remind them, hey, Jesus has overcome the world. I don't understand it. I don't see it yet, but someday we will. Jesus has overcome this part of your life, this problem in your life. Jesus is victorious and you will be too. Just offer that word of encomperment. There's such a power in the Christian ministry of comforting one another. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, in your exhortation. That word was also used, parakaleo, it was also used in the sense of adding uh, rebuke and correction. There are times when people need to be told that some of the stuff they're doing might be a little bit wrong. But, you know, especially in the church, we do this in the business world sometimes. We, we don't challenge each other because it's not my business or I don't want you challenging me, you know, that kind of thing. But we do it in the church. It's like we have this conspiracy where we enable one another in sin. You know, I'm struggling with sin right now. Now, now, don't worry about it. Everybody does. You know, oh, well, oh, I guess it's okay. You know, at some point we need to look at one another and say, you know, sin is not good. It's killing you. Your sin is just destroying your life. It's robbing you of the joy. And whether it's sooner or later, ultimately, you will find that that sin has been a a dynamic of death in your life. And when we confront one another in that way with the love of God and the Holy Spirit of God, when we do that, we are encouraging one another, well, let's get rid of the sin then. Let's, Let's just provoke one another to good works and good deeds. Let's just be an an irritant that we just irritate each other until we're all doing what we want to do. You see, there's a kind of of, of holiness in in, in that way as we walk in the family of the body of Christ that we are called to challenge one another with those kinds of things that that need changing and need correcting. Uh, Paul had that sort of attitude in the city. Uh, of Antioch, when, when Peter had come in and, and Paul was, was there and all the Jews and all the Gentile Christians were all worshiping together and eating together, and uh, Peter came in and he said, this is, this is great, he was a part of that. And then some, uh, what, what are technically called Judaizers, but some guys came in and they said, hey, wait, 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 uh, Jews and Gentiles shouldn't eat, eat together, and, and so they, they separated the lunch hour. You know, and uh, Peter himself said, well, I'll, I'll eat with all the Jews. You know, I, I don't want to rock the boat. I'll eat with the Jews. And Paul said, I went to Peter and I told him to his face. I said, Peter, this is not right. This isn't what Christ died for. 
This isn't what grace means. This is what being crucified with Christ means. He confronted Peter. And that was a way of exhorting Peter to move from where he was into a more glorious posture and understanding of where God wanted him to be. A lot of times there is an element of reproof and correction. But you know who the master of that was? Was was Jesus. I mean, if you had been a disciple of Jesus, do you know how hard that would have been? Because every day there was something Jesus said, and if you really were listening, you'd say, and I'm not doing that. And I'm wrong. And I've got to clean up that. You know, it, it, it's not, it, it, you know, it's one of those things is if you're going to be in the presence of Jesus, who, by the way, is the perfect son of God, the sinless one, who, in whom inhabits the glorious second person of the Trinity, if you're with him every day, at some point every day, it's going to dawn on you, I'm not where he is. <laughs> There's a gap between us. There's a lot of sin in my life. And Jesus talked about sin. He talked about the attitudes that were inappropriate. He, he would talk to his disciples. He said, look, you, you, you're being just like Gentile leaders. They love to have power and authority and lord it over other people. And here you are arguing about who is the greatest. Not so with you. You shouldn't be doing this. That's not God's plan for you. How many times did the disciples just sort of walk around with, there it goes again. You know, my life is, you know, I'm just... But here's the thing about it. When Jesus corrected his disciples, he did it in such a way that they were eager, eager to be conformed to his image, what he was teaching them to do and to be. Now, that's a gift. I know a lot of people who are willing to tell me what I've done wrong. Fortunately, they're not on the deacon body anymore. (laughs) No. But you know a lot of people, you know, it's like their hobby to just tell you what you've done wrong. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who lovingly can show you this is destructive, this is wrong, this is sinful, but here is God's plan, and here's how it works out in your life, and here's how the Holy Spirit will accomplish this in your life if you just let him. You see, there's, there's a way to be critical, and there's a way to be um, a constructive as you talk about that. So a part of this encouraging thing, and one of the things that, that the Word is used, is, is to exhort people, don't sin anymore. Let's get up and out of sin. But one of the, the, the great things about exhortation and encouragement is just that, that idea of giving people courage, just giving them heart. Just giving them the the sense that, yes, they they really can achieve by the power of the Holy Spirit what God has set before them in life. You know, I guess uh, one of the examples of this in terms of exhortation is if uh, you ever go to a baseball game. Baseball's uh, in in season right now. I've started watching a lot of baseball uh, for various reasons. But anyway, uh, the baseball season is going on right now. You fill the stands with folks. And what are they saying? You know, come on, we want to hit, we want to hit. Well, do we cheer like that? We don't cheer like that. But yeah, but we're doing that. You know, and we're exhorting the team to do better, to do better. And I suppose psychologically, maybe the team does better. It's just that we don't have enough fans to fill RFK, not RFK, but FedEx field to actually have an influence on the Redskins. But, you know, but, but if we cheer enough, you know, they might do better. They might do better, you know. 
Now, I have a philosophical problem with that because I usually watch uh, baseball games on videotape or, or on DVR. Videotape, yeah. Uh, <laughs> while listening to my LPs. <laughs> well, okay. But anyway, I, I, I watch it on, on I, I record it and I watch it later. Wait. <laughs> Some of the kids are turning to each other and say, Hell, what? <laughs> but anyway. We'll get even someday, but um, you know. But I watch it on, 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 you know, I record it and I watch it later, and so by the time I'm watching the game, it's over. And I want to ask you, does it do any good for me to root <laughs> for one team or the other? I mean, you figure that one out, you'll understand Calvinism. I mean, that's that's just the, that's just. The, but one of, one of the things we, we, we do, though, at a sporting event is, we, you know, we, we want to cheer our team on. We want to just exhort them to do better. We even have, have squads down in front of the football stands. Uh, they're called exhortation leaders, you know, and, and, uh, uh, or something like that. So, but that, that's part of it, too. And, and, you know, what a glorious ministry it is when you can go to a brother and sister in Christ and say, you know, I think, I think you're doing well. I know you're going to make it. You may not see it, but I see it in you. You know, and, and, and look, uh, I've been there before. I can tell you where you are. It's just around the corner. You, you know, things are going to turn up. It's going to work out. There's so many resources going on. You know, just to encourage one another and cheer one another along. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. And in Romans 12, he says, if you've got that gift, use it. But the thing about the spiritual gifts is some people have the gift. We all have the responsibility. Some people have a gift for preaching, thank you, but uh, you know, some people have that gift. But we all have a, have, have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. Some people have a gift of evangelism, we all have a responsibility to witness. And some people have a gift for exhortation. I mean, they're just the kind of person who walks into a room and everybody feels better and they can work better and they, they coalesce around an, uh, a common uh, goal. And so some have, have a gift for exhortation, but we all have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to, to, uh, to uh, cheer each other along, invite others to come with us, uh, to, to confront where confrontation is needed and to comfort where comfort is needed. So, so we all have that, that, that responsibility. It's a part of who it is to be a Christian. Because what's going on in Romans 12 is Paul is saying, if you want to look like Jesus, here's what's going to happen. Here is what's going to happen if you want to look like Jesus. And so according to the grace God gives you, according to his mercy, according to the faith that, that you have in Christ, you know, just use that opportunity to exhort and to encourage one another. And so I'm going to give you two things to do this week. And one of them is to encourage somebody, preferably a brother or sister in Christ. But if you want to encourage a pagan, uh, don't encourage them in their paganism, but you know, encourage them along the way. <laughs> But just be open and receptive. Be sensitive to the opportunity you may have to talk to a brother and sister in Christ and just to encourage them along the way to say, you know, I'm praying for you or is there something we can, we can do together to help out here? Or, or maybe all you need, you just need a break from the, from the craziness that's going on in your life. How about if we just go out to lunch together? Be sensitive to an opportunity to encourage a brother or sister in Christ. That's the first thing I want you to do. The second thing I want you to do is be open to the encouragement of another. To be open to God encouraging you through the ministry of a brother and sister in Christ. Because sometimes... Sometimes what we do 
is we want to, well, the guys at least, we want to act like I don't really need that. I'm doing okay. I'm strong enough. I've got it covered. I've got it handled. And the fact of the matter is we don't and we can't. And so the second challenge I give you this week is to be open to someone coming to you from the body of Christ, a brother, sister in Christ, and just saying, I want to encourage you. I want to just tell you that, 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 you know, I'm on your side. I want to go through this journey together. In some way, just let that person encourage you. Because when we do that, if the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, if the Holy Spirit is the encourager, the exhorter, the comforter, if we do that, then the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. And the Holy Spirit works to conform us to the image of Jesus that we would give glory to the Father, and that's why we were created. Okay. Let's bow for prayer, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. Father in heaven, I just ask that the words of Scripture would just come alive in our hearts, and, our, and, and we would just have a sense of, of uh, their, their vitality in, in our day-to-day living. I, I pray that we would be open to encouragement and that your Holy Spirit then would use us also to encourage others. That, Father, as a result of your grace in our lives, Christ would be honored, he would be glorified, and in all these things, you would be exalted among the nations. Father, I thank you for it all. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.